Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Zane Asher, and here is what you need to know. Is Powell out of patience? We'll soon get the read on the Fed's tea leaves to find out if cuts are coming. And facing backlash, skeptical lawmakers voice concerns over Facebook's new crypto plan. And Blackstone's Stephen Schwarzman tells our John Defterios that he doesn't think the trade wars will pull the U.S. into a recession. It is Wednesday, and this is First Move. I'm Zane Asher. Welcome to First Move. The main event for Wall Street is just hours away. Uh, The U.S. Federal Reserve releases its latest policy statement and Fed Chair uh, Jerome Powell holds a news conference uh, at about 2 o'clock, 2.30 Eastern time. Many investors hope the central bank will pivot on policy and announce that it could soon introduce interest rate cuts. As markets brace for the Fed, it's looking like a mostly flat start to the trading day. U.S. stocks soared Tuesday on stimulus hopes, not only in the United States, but in the Eurozone as well, where ECB head Mario Draghi said he is ready to do more to boost growth. News that President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping will discuss trade at the G20 summit next week also gave the last market a bit of a boost as well. But as we begin today's session, the S&P 500 it's less than 1% away from record highs. Global stocks are at uh, near two-week highs. Whether the rally can continue has certainly a lot to do with what the Fed end up deciding. One person who will be following today's developments uh, especially closely will be none other than President Trump, who has reportedly considered demoting Chairman Powell for keeping rates at uh, records or levels rather that he believes are too high. Claire Sebastian is joining us live now. Um, so Claire, a lot of people are expecting that we won't see a rate cut until July. What can we expect today? Yeah, then the uh, the probability, if you look at the markets, is is less than 25% for today, but that rises in July uh, to about 65%. And by September, uh, according to the CME Group's FedWatch tool, only uh, there's only a 6% probability that rates stay where they are today. So certainly over the coming month, months, the expectations are pretty much unanimous that this will come. But as for today, uh, the challenge for the Fed is how they communicate what's coming. There's a lot of expectation uh, on Wall Street that they will change the language in the statement that they will take away the word patient that they've had in there since the beginning of the year, since they've had rates on hold. So they really need to try and uh, and deliver in a way what the markets are looking for. We've seen what happens when they don't do that. In December, uh, when the Fed uh, came out as slightly more hawkish than the markets were expecting, the markets uh, fell sharply. So all eyes will be on that statement. All eyes will be uh, on the press conference from Jerome Powell today. And he has a very delicate balancing act uh, when it comes to communicating this. Um, and another thing that is uh, sort of pushing, putting pressure rather, or seeming to put pressure on Jerome Powell is, of course, the way that Donald Trump seems to address him. I want, I want to play our audience uh, what uh, the U.S. president had to say about Jerome Powell. Well, let's see what he does. I want to be given a level playing field. And 
So far, I haven't been. Uh, Trump also intimated about potentially demoting Jerome Powell. He said, let's see what he does. How unprecedented is that for the U.S. president? I mean, this is very unusual, Zaini. The whole uh, job of the Fed is to stay independent and, in a way, to provide a counterpoint if, uh, you know, the, the government's uh, economic policy leads to uh, excesses in the economy or the opposite. Uh, so this is extremely unusual. And the interesting thing is, as market expectations have risen uh, of a rate cut, as it's looked increasingly like Trump might get actually what he wants, his pressure has only increased. So the Fed uh, now has to grapple with not only, uh, you know, a mixed picture when it comes to the economy, not only the challenge uh, of the market expectations, not only an unpredictable trade war that is also in the hands uh, of the president, but, but the challenge of, of not appearing to bow to political pressure. That is, uh, is a huge communication challenge and, and it further complicates this picture. So aside from um, the trade war, what other factors go into the Fed chair's decision making when it comes to potentially a rate cut in July? So their mandate, Zane, is, is twofold. It's price stability and full employment. So, uh, you know, price stability when it comes to inflation has been a bit of a complicated picture. Inflation has been persistently uh, undershooting. It's never quite uh, managed to, to, to consistently reach the 2% target that the Fed has been looking for. Unemployment, uh, the jobs market had been extremely strong uh, up until uh, this month when we got the May jobs report. It came in well below expectations. It also had downward revisions to the previous month. So there are signs, not so much of a slowdown, but of an economy that, that may be losing momentum. We've also got uh, data points that the Fed will be looking at when it comes to manufacturing, consumer sentiment. Uh, that they have also been showing signs of losing momentum. So uh, there, are, there are certainly data points out there that are increasing in number that could lead them uh, to shift their stance to something more flexible. But overall, this isn't an economy that's on the brink of recession. So they have to, to signal that while also saying that they're going to stay flexible. And that's why this is such a delicate moment for them. All right, Claire Sebastian, my frost, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hope for an end to the China-U.S. trade war is lifting investors' spirits, pushing Asian shares higher. U.S. President Donald Trump said talks between the two countries will be resuming today. Will Ripley is joining us live now from Beijing. Will, we're also hearing that the U.S. President and Xi Jinping are going to be meeting on the sidelines of G20 next week. Um, could this clear the path to a deal in terms of a trade deal between the U.S. and China? And I think at this stage, the best hopes of many analysts who are watching the situation and certainly investors here in Asia and around the world is that the two leaders will agree to put a pause on the uh, additional tariffs that are uh, currently being discussed right now in the United States. Tariffs on $300 billion in additional Chinese goods. That is what uh, China wants to avert, and I, I would imagine the United States would like to avert it if they can get uh, closer to what they want in terms of some of the key issues when it comes to U.S.-China trade. Of course, one major issue of contention that seems like it's going to be very difficult to resolve, certainly in the informal discussions of the G20 in Japan between Presidents Trump and Xi, is the treatment of Chinese telecom giant Huawei. Uh, that is a major, major issue of contention between the two countries. But there is hope that because Trump and Xi have a good personal rapport that they can perhaps secure some sort of an agreement, much like they did in Argentina uh, when they last had that dinner meeting. Of course, that dinner meeting was held on the same day uh, that one of Huawei's top executives uh, was arrested and taken into custody in Canada and has since been extradited or is in the process of extradition and facing charges in the United States. 
just in terms of, I mean, obviously Huawei is a key issue, as you mentioned, but just in terms of the trade war so far, how, 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 much, um, how much of an impact on the Chinese economy has this rushing up of tariffs had on Beijing, especially given the slowing economy there? China's economy is expected to grow once again this year, but the growth is undoubtedly slowing. And it puts uh, President Xi in a difficult spot because he has amassed so much power in this country only to see the economy slowing and the trade war with the United States escalating. Those are two uh, fronts that have been very problematic for the Chinese president, uh, which uh, may be one factor as to why he is also going to be traveling to Pyongyang, North Korea tomorrow morning, local time, uh, to have discussions or perhaps sign some sort of an agreement with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just before he goes to meet with President Trump in Japan. Obviously, North Korea is one of President Trump's signature policy issues. And so if President Xi can come to Japan with some insight on that front, well, it certainly is a valuable card to play potentially for Xi as he also tries to talk with Trump about trade. And so what what have been so far, Will, the major sticking points um, that have thwarted uh, the U.S. and China from reaching a deal? I mean, obviously, even if a deal is reached, the issue then becomes how the U.S. ends up enforcing it. Just walk us through what the major sticking points have been. First of all, there is a major trade imbalance, and President Trump has talked for a long time about the fact that uh, the United States is buying hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars more uh, every year from China than the United States is selling to China. President Trump wants China and Chinese consumers to consume more American goods. He also wants it to be easier for Chinese markets to open up to American companies. And the United States wants to do away with things like forced uh, technology and information sharing. Uh, There's been a long uh, held claim that in order for foreign tech companies in particular to do business here in China's lucrative market, they have to partner up with Chinese entities, share their secrets, and then those Chinese entities can take that information that they've learned and produce their own versions at a much cheaper price. Then, of course, the issue with Huawei, which is a big one, is national security. And that is something that China uh, is trying to fight with the United States about right now, because Huawei holds a lot of patents in the United States. Uh, that can be enforced unless the U.S. can prove that Huawei is violating U.S. national security. Uh, Obviously, Huawei is a pillar of uh, the Chinese economy, and they're going to fight very hard to protect uh, the business dealings of that company, which has essentially been blacklisted by the U.S., making it impossible at the moment for U.S. uh, companies and U.S. allies to do a whole lot of business with Huawei without facing serious repercussions. Well, Ripley, life for us there. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Facebook's bold plan to release its own cryptocurrency is already facing fierce global political backlash. Concerns over data privacy and security have led to a leading American lawmaker to call for the project to be put on hold. And the G7 has been asked to hold its own investigation into the currency. Brian Fung joins us live now. So really already, Brian, we're seeing this massive sort of uphill battle for Facebook just in terms of trying to win over uh, the trust from consumers, general public, and also lawmakers as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing a very strong reaction now uh, from members of Congress. You had uh, the chairwoman of the House Financial Services Committee, Maxine Waters, saying that this is another example of Facebook's unchecked expansion. Um, You had Senator Sherrod Brown, the top Democrat on the Senate Banking Committee, saying this is another example of how Facebook is too big and too powerful. Obviously, all this comes as uh, Facebook is facing a lot of 
in a scrutiny from regulators, both um, in Congress and at the Federal Trade Commission and the Justice Department, um, you know, over its practices on privacy and uh, the ro- the rest of the tech industry too is um, you know seeing a lot of uh, uh, skepticism from regulators about whether or not they're too big and too powerful. You have lots of um, you know Democratic uh, presidential candidates calling for uh, the industry to be broken up. So all in all, um, a very challenging environment that Facebook is is seeking to uh, inject itself into with a new product. So how has Facebook, I mean, obviously it's early days yet, but how has Facebook already responded to calls, for example, from Maxine Waters for uh, Libra to be put on hold? That's right. So, uh, you know, Facebook has said it's willing to um, engage with lawmakers and will be ans- open to answering questions about them uh, in the future. Um, but, you know, as, as you pointed out, um, you know, Congresswoman Waters has called for the cryptocurrency to be uh, placed on hold and not developed uh, further while some of these questions get um, sorted out. Um, you had uh, both her and uh, the top Republican on that committee asking for hearings into the issue. Um, and Waters has also asked for Facebook to uh, submit to providing testimony with executives um, you know, testifying to, to Capitol Hill. Um, on this issue. Now, obviously, Facebook wants this uh, cryptocurrency uh, to become mainstream and to potentially become a part of the global financial infrastructure, uh, bringing on billions potentially uh, to the the global banking system, um, you know, especially particularly in the developing world. Um, so this raises real serious questions about um, what kinds of data uh, Facebook could collect with a result of this technology, um, what it might be used for, um, and all of those questions are still relatively unresolved at this point. Brian Fung, appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so these are the stories that are making headlines around the world right now. The first independent investigation into the death of Jamal Khashoggi has found the journalist was the victim of a deliberate premeditated execution. The UN Special Rapporteur also said that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman should be hit by targeted sanctions unless evidence can be provided clearing him of actual involvement in this uh, particular execution. Four people will face prosecution over the downing of Malaysia Airlines flight MH17. The plane crashed in eastern Ukraine five years ago, killing 298 people. Three Russians and a Ukrainian have been named as suspects by international investigators. One of the suspects says that separatists in eastern Ukraine were not responsible for the downing of the plane. Donald Trump makes it official. The U.S. president has launched his bid for re-election with a rally in Florida. He used Obviously, he used it to bash some familiar targets and talk up the economy as well, promising even greater prosperity if he's given a second term. I want you to listen to part of it. Our economy is the envy of the world, perhaps the greatest economy we've had in the history of our country. As long as you keep this team in place, we have a tremendous way to go. Our future has never, ever looked brighter or sharper. Joe Johns is joining us live now in Miami. So, John, you hear the president there speaking in his sort of usual superlatives. Um, Whether you love him or hate him, one thing you cannot deny is this is a man who does command rock star adulation. He certainly does, and that's what he got. It's so different from when he first got into the race, going down that escalator, at Trump Tower in New York City. There were 
quite a few people there, but certainly nothing like this. It was an enormous crowd in Orlando, and they really soaked up every moment of it. Of course, Florida is very important for him. The president sees Florida as his second home. So it was right and fitting, I suppose, that they uh, go ahead and do the kickoff here. The president has a new campaign slogan this time around, Keep America Great Again. And um, the fact of the matter, though, is, as I think you can see from all the transcripts as well as the sound bites that have come out of that Orlando appearance, the president really parked back to many of the themes that we've heard from the countless rallies he's actually held over uh, the last years. He talked about Robert Mueller, he talked about Hillary Clinton, he talked about fake news, immigration, border security. These are all things we've heard before. Pretty clear that while the campaign was seeking a reset for the president of the United States the second time around, they're not, at least at this stage, planning on changing things very much, Zane. Even though obviously the president is adored by his base, the fact is he does have relatively low uh, approval ratings when you compare him to other recent presidents. What are the major hurdles to him getting reelected, do you think? The major hurdles, as always, really for any presidential campaign, is going to be uh, the middle of politics. Those are the swing voters. In states like right here in Florida, uh, people who uh, don't necessarily vote Democratic, don't necessarily vote Republican, and are waiting uh, for the incumbent as well as the challenger to give them something uh, they can hold on to. The president has clearly alienated a certain segment of uh, the voting population, and we know that from the strength of the opposition to him uh, on the Democratic side, particularly among liberal Democrats. So um, he's also going to have to stand on his record. Last time around, this is a man who ran against the Washington establishment and draining the swamp. Now uh, he is the leader of the Washington establishment, at least as far as Republican politics is concerned. So he's going to have to run on his record. And there's also that sticky issue of immigration. Uh, very important to mention that simply because immigration is something he ran on four years ago. And he had quite a voice, didn't he, on that issue. And arguably, if you use almost any metric, the immigration problem in the United States has gotten uh, much more challenging since this president took office. The question is uh, whether uh, that's a reflection of some of his policies. All right, Joe Johns, live for us there. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right, so to come here, uh, breaking up may be hard to do, but activist shareholders think it's for the best. We look ahead at Google's contentious annual meeting and getting into bed with the competition. Airbnb joins forces with a brand new, or rather, a, a hotel app. That's next after the break. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Zane Asher. We're live for you here at the New York Stock Exchange. With just uh, a few minutes to go before the opening bell on Wall Street in about nine minutes or so from now. Futures, let's see, are pointing to a bit of a flat open, slightly higher, but relatively flat. Uh, the markets are in a wait and see position because we've got the Fed's decision coming out in about five or so hours from now. U.S. Treasury yields fell sharply in the previous session amid expectations for new global stimulus. They are stabilizing today, but the 10-year yield remains below 2.1%. To discuss it all, we've got Greg Peters, Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at PGI 
and fixed income. So let's talk about the Fed. We've got the Fed decision coming out in a few hours from now. Do you expect, like most people, that there will be a rate cut in July, not necessarily this time around? Well, there's more drama around the meeting than initial anticipated. So uh, Mario Draghi yesterday kind of pulled forward the debate on what the Fed should do and called arms. Um, that being said, I do think uh, it's not uh, a likely probability of a rate cut today. You know, July is uh, definitely on the table, but I think it's really important to take a step back and think about where we were just at the end of last year, where the market was pricing in two rate hikes, and now the market's pricing in two rate, three rate cuts uh, through this year. So that's a dramatic shift. Uh, uh, and the Fed ultimately has to deliver on that or the markets are going to be really disappointed. How much has um, anticipating that there will be a rate cut in July already been priced into the markets? It's already priced in. That's the whole thing. Yeah. So the, the Fed actually has to deliver what the market is expecting or I think the markets will kind of react negatively around it. So when you think about, as you mentioned, what a dramatic shift, you know, compared to this time last year to now with rate hikes versus now rate cuts. Um, what have been the factors, the key factors? I mean, obviously, trade is obviously a, uh, probably the most important factor, but what have been the other factors that have gone into the Fed's decision-making? Well, growth has come down, uh, clearly, and so it's particularly come down on the, ma uh, the manufacturing side and globally as well. Uh, the consumer still remains pretty strong. The labor market's pretty strong, uh, but it's manufacturing and then it's inflation. What the, what the Fed is looking towards is the weak inflation data. And so inflation continues to run below their mandate under 2%. And so they feel they have ample room to stimulate in order to boost that inflation number higher. So I think it's really around inflation more than the economic data itself. But uh, it's a confluence of those two factors that ultimately feeding into the Fed's decision. So when we saw markets really rally yesterday, how much of that was about... Um, the potential of a deal in terms of a trade deal between the U.S. and China, obviously, uh, the Xi Jinping and, and Donald Trump are going to be meeting on the sidelines of G20. Um, markets seem very optimistic about that um, versus other other factors, you know, in, including the potential for a rate cut and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I think the answer is both. Uh, uh, and so uh, the markets uh, reacted strongly before the open around uh, Draghi's comments. Uh, and then the Trump tweet around uh, a meeting at the G20 just accelerated that. Uh, but prior to, the markets were really quite negative around the prospect of anything coming out of the G20. So the expectation was really quite low. So that's been raised now as well. So once again, you have a situation where the markets are really expecting action out of the G20 and out of the Fed. Uh, uh, and so we're really kind of pushing the limits here in terms of uh, the ability to deliver both those items. Some analysts believe that, you know, because we've seen an inverted yield curve in about 12 to 18 months from now, that a recession could be on the horizon. Do you share that view or no? Well, the risks are rising. I think it's always important to remember that forecasting a recession is literally impossible. <laughs> uh, and so we look for certain uh, fragments and, and segments to kind of point to. But growth is slowing, um, uh, and so it's something to watch out for. But no, it's not a base case for this year, but the risks start to rise 
you know, 12, 18 months down the road, uh, as a lot of the fiscal stimulus here in the U.S. rolls off, uh, we still don't know around trade what that means ultimately. So it's really hard to figure it out because there's so many moving parts. So what are the consequences of this sort of low rate, low growth um, environment that we're in right now, low inflation environment that we're in right now? Look, I mean, I think this is the reality of the world that we live in. The demographics are working against us. Uh, you're not seeing the same kind of productivity boost that we have in the past. I think low rates, low growth, low inflation is the, uh, the future, quite frankly. All right. Greg Peters, thank, thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right. We have the opening bell for you in about four or so minutes from now. We'll be back with that bell after the break. Australian Treasury Department there ringing the opening bell on Wall Street. Welcome back to First Move, everyone. I am in Ashley coming to you live from here at the New York Stock Exchange. That was the opening bell. Uh, as I mentioned, the markets, let's take a look now, are pretty much flat right now. Uh, basically in a wait and see sort of holding pattern as we await the Fed's decision at 2 o'clock Eastern time. A lot of people are expecting there's not going to be necessarily an interest rate cut this time around, but in July. People are pointing to July as when we will be seeing that rate cut. That Fed announcement, as I mentioned, is expected to come at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We did see a broad-based rally in the previous session on hopes for global stimulus and progress in the U.S.-China trade talks as well. President Trump and Xi Jinping have actually confirmed they will meet next week on the sidelines of the G20 summit. Could that mean there could be a trade deal on the horizon? We shall wait and see. In the meantime, major U.S. companies are bracing for what could be years of trade uncertainty. A report out today says Apple is looking into whether major suppliers could move as much as 30% of their Chinese manufacturing to other Asian countries. All right, let's talk about the global movers now. Adobe is higher right now. The software company's second quarter earnings came in. Five cents a share above expectations and its revenues rose 25 percent. Guidance for the current quarter was soft, but JP Morgan Chase is raising its price target for the company. Mattel, you can see there, is slightly lower, down about almost 1 percent or so. The toolmaker shares are under pressure amid harsh words from MGA Entertainment. MGA had considered buying Mattel, uh, but it says it's walking away from the deal because of Mattel's many balance sheet liabilities. MGA which makes the Bratz line of dolls, says Mattel, quote, cannot be salvaged. Facebook, there at the bottom of your screen, is, is down about one and a quarter percent or so. Shares under pressure after that company unveiled Libra, their brand new cryptocurrency. The head of the U.S. House Financial Services Committee is calling for hearings into Libra. Uh, and France's finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, wants the G20 to actually investigate. Now, it is not unusual for activist investors to call for a company to be broken up, and that is exactly what some Alphabet stakeholders are doing. The Google parent company holds its annual meeting today, and activist investors are urging it to beat regulators to the punch by separating parts of its business. I want to bring in Hadass Gold, uh, who joins us live now. So Hadass, it's not just this idea of potentially Alphabet breaking up into several different sort of subsidiaries. It's also the fact that there are 13 different shareholder-sponsored proposals that are on the table, which is in itself quite unusual. It's quite high. 
Zane, that's a record, actually, the 13 activist shareholder proposals. That's double the number that we've seen for Alphabet in previous years. Starting with that first one about breaking Google up, this comes from the group, some of us, whose goal is to curb the growing power of corporations. They want Alphabet to break itself up, as you said, to get ahead of regulators because they think shareholders could, and I'm quoting here, receive greater value from a voluntary strategic reduction because Alphabet may be too large and too complex to be managed effectively. Now, this is, as you said, one of 13 proposals, and at least five of them are actually backed by Alphabet employees themselves. And those proposals specifically deal uh, with some of uh, the issues we saw in previous months, those walkouts around how Google handles sexual harassment cases. They include things like a ban on NDAs and all harassment discrimination cases, rescinding of executive compensation. Another interesting one calls on a human rights impact assessment about Google's plans in China. Now, as you can see on the screen, the board is recommending against all 13 stockholder proposals. It's very unlikely to pass uh, because Alphabet's two top executives hold 51.3% of all the shareholder votes. But all of these proposals are a clear reflection of this sort of growing trend, not only to uh, the concerns over breaking up big tech, but also how employees and activist shareholders are feeling like they want to take matters into their own hands when it comes to things like sexual harassment, executive pay. And we're not only going to see the action during this meeting itself inside. Outside, there are hundreds of people who are planning to protest Alphabet for various things, everything from uh, Google's dealings in China to housing crisis in Silicon Valley and how Alphabet has contributed to that. Uh, so we will be keep keeping a close eye on this, Zane. It's supposed to start in about three hours or so, 9 a.m. Uh, on the West Coast in California. And we'll see if we'll actually hear any more comments from Alphabet regarding to any of these 13 proposals, Zane. And overall, Hadassah, it has actually been quite a bit of a difficult year for Alphabet. I mean, their share price fell after their last earnings announcement in April, and they haven't really recovered. They've also de dealt with uh, a record number of EU fines when it comes to unfair competition. Just, just walk us through what the year has been like for Alphabet. Yeah, it's been, it's been a difficult year for them. And actually, when you look at their share price, it's been underperforming compared to its rivals. When you think about Facebook and Amazon, and they have been really sort of been a target for regulators around the world uh, and for politicians as well have been targeting them, talking about breaking them up alongside Amazon and the rest. But you do hear from some analysts who think that sometimes Alphabet has maybe almost been unfairly bearing the brunt of all of this sort of anti-big tech, uh, tech protest. Uh, we're also also, in the last few months, we saw those walkouts from Google employees themselves walking out in protest of how they say the company handles sexual harassment cases when it dealt with very high-ranking executives. And there was some changes that were enacted after those protests, but we're seeing that that is still having an effect now that we have uh, these proposals coming forth. Like I said, very unlikely to pass, but I think we're starting to see a lot more activism, not only from employees themselves, but also from shareholders. In. Hadass Gold, live for us. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Oxford University receives its biggest donation in centuries from the head of Blackstone. We'll hear from the Wall Street billionaire next. All right, welcome back, everybody. Within the next half hour, pilots, flight attendants, and their unions will tell American lawmakers about their concerns over Boeing's 737 MAX planes. Congress is investigating Boeing's handling of two fatal crashes, which killed a total of 346 people. Drew Griffin joins us live now from Washington. So, so uh, Drew, what are the sort of main concerns we expect 
uh, pilots to say at this hearing. Zane, I think that the pilots here in uh, Washington, D.C. want to make sure that the Congress is looking back directly at this plane and the U.S. Uh, Federal Aviation Administration's cert certification of it. There have been a lot of recent comments lately trying to blame the pilots for these crashes, especially foreign pilots who may not uh, be trained properly in this. And uh, the head of the Allied uh, Pilots Association here that represents American Airlines pilots is really fuming about those statements. He wants this to be squarely about the plane, its design, and why the U.S. FAA actually certified this plane to go up in the air in the first place. So you're going to see a lot of fireworks based on that, not blaming the pilots. And if the pilots did have anything to do with this, Zane, that it was the fact that Boeing had a system on board that was not known to the pilots, that the pilots were not properly trained on, and even that should be the focus of the FAA's certification process. So I think the point of this hearing is to take it from the stakeholders who will actually be asked to go back into these planes back flying these planes it's not just the pilots it's the flight attendants too who want to make sure that congress and the faa are going to take their time and and completely make sure that this plane is safe to fly again and there's no rush to get it back up in the air Zane? no no rush drew but how rigorous will the certification process be uh for the faa when it comes to just trying to get those planes back on the ground, back off the ground and, and, and resuming flying. Well, I, I can tell you that that process has been ongoing now, Zane, for months, even though the handoff per se hasn't happened yet between Boeing and the FAA. The FAA has been uh, very involved in what Boeing is doing, the changes being made to the plane, uh, the changes being made to flight training manuals, to simulators. There's a, a lot of give and take going back and forth between the FAA. As for uh, what happens next, there's going to be a certification flight done by the FAA. Look for that in the next two weeks. And then it'll be another four to six weeks after that when a completely different review board, it's called the Technical Advisory Board, will check everything that the FAA has done uh, to make sure that nothing has been missed. So the FAA is trying to tell us this is going to be a very rigorous process. It's not being rushed. Look at the earliest for these uh, planes to be okay to fly by U.S. airlines, uh, probably end of September, October, and then it'll be up to the international aviation authorities to determine how they will move forward. Zane? Trey Griffin, life was there. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, here's today's boardroom brief. The head of Blackstone is donating 188 million U.S. dollars to Oxford University. It is the single uh, biggest donation since the Renaissance. And the pledge from U.S. billionaire Stephen Schwarzman will fund a center for humanities and will include an institute to study the ethics of artificial intelligence. He spoke to our John Defterios about the investment and why he thinks it's so urgent to take action. Usually governments react to crises. So you make a mess and then they pass something to... Um, uh, address it. Since we know a mess is coming, we needn't wait. Uh, and I, I'm not a regulatory, you know, advocate, uh, you know, ordinarily. Uh, but this is something where business, the academic world, and the government world, and the media need to come together so nobody panics. 
and the introduction of the technologies are are phased uh, and nobody likes to be phased uh, and and so um, it presents a challenge uh, but it's a challenge that has to be overcome because if you don't address it the outcome is going to be pretty clear Jeff Deftaris joins us live now from London. So, John, uh, Stephen Schwartzman has also been speaking out about trade. He talked about the fact that even though there is some optimism about the fact that Donald Trump and Xi Jinping are going to be meeting on the sidelines of the G20 summit, that he doesn't anticipate that a deal is going to be reached uh, there and then. It may indeed be some time. You spoke to him about trade as well. What did he have to say? Well, it's a pretty sober view, Zane, but some context on Blackstone itself. Uh, Half a trillion dollars under management, uh, under the tutelage of Steve Schwartzman. So that's why everybody wants to hear what he has to say. By the way, on artificial intelligence, he's told me, look, if I didn't think I could make a difference on the dialogue around artificial intelligence and the disruption of jobs, I would have stayed out of the debate. But we wanted to talk to him about those two issues uh, that are on the table today and, in fact, throughout the week. That's the U.S.-China trade war and also the very aggressive position by Donald Trump against Jay Powell at the Federal Reserve and the Fed's decision coming forth. Let's start on the first topic, uh, U.S.-China trade. And can we get a deal or not? He says not yet. At the moment, uh, the, the, the trade talks are basically not talking. Uh, and, and so the two presidents need to reset uh, their mutual expectations. Uh, and, and if there is no overlap, then There'll end up being more tariffs and more divisiveness and less business uh, confidence and slower uh, global growth. So, so you, you've had experience in China and success. Do you think a deal can be done, though, in that short of a time frame? No. A deal can be done by next week. Uh, that, that, that's really completely unrealistic. Um, what, what what the meeting between the two presidents is meant to do is say, you know, we were close to a deal. You know, the, the Chinese have backed off it. Uh, and, and to make a deal, you have to know where they stand. If they really want to do something, they'll come back and, and, and say, well, I don't know why we did what we did. Or, or, you know, here's why we did this on this one point. Maybe you can solve it. Uh, but if things stay the way they are and you just have pleasant handshakes, there won't be anything. Should the Federal Reserve be more accommodative as a result of the trade tensions with China, with India, even south of the border with Mexico? Should they be more aggressive in your view or really fight for that independence and hold the line against President Trump's requests? Well, U.S. economy is, uh, particularly in the manufacturing area, is slowing. Uh, and, And so you can make the case, regardless of what the president says or doesn't, uh, that, that, that the Fed should take uh, another look uh, at where they are. Uh, also, because European interest rates are so low now, negative, uh, that, that it's starting to affect currencies. Um, so, so is it fair to take a look? Uh, uh, yes. Um, the Fed is independent. And the Fed was set up to be independent. And they should operate as independent. Uh, and, and so you, usually when the president says something the way he is, he's expressing a point of view. I'm sure they've heard it. Uh, and they should do whatever they think uh, is right. That's their job. 
Christine Schwartzman once again. A little bit of nuance there, uh, Zane, suggesting that the Fed should take another look at where we are. We're slowing down, but the thing that stood out for me, not part of that clip here, but part of the interview overall, he does not think that the U.S.-China trade war will tilt the U.S. into a recession in 2020. But he says he sees the slowdown in manufacturing and the Fed should be responsive, uh, perhaps, to the call, the pipeline, the data that they're seeing today, not the calls from the president and the aggressive nature uh, on Jay Powell. All right, John Defterios, live for us there. Thank you so much. And by the way, programming note for all of you, you can actually see more of John's interview with Steve Schwartzman in a few hours from now on Quest Means Business. That's 3 o'clock Eastern time. Thank you, John. All right, still to come, uh, Airbnb checks in with its rivals. We'll speak to the CEO of its latest acquisition. That's next. Airbnb is better known for disrupting the traditional hotel industry than investing in it. But as the company gears up for an IPO, it did just that. A few months ago, it bought Hotel Tonight, an app that offers discounted last-minute hotel rooms from brands including Sheraton and Hyatt as well. For more on the value Hotel Tonight brings, I'm joined now by its CEO, Sam Shank. Sam, thank you so much for being with us. So let's just talk first and foremost about why the synergy between Airbnb and Hotel Tonight makes sense. What do you guys both give each other? Uh, we are, it's such a great match because we are so complimentary as brands. We bring a lot more supply that Airbnb doesn't have, and we also bring a use case that Airbnb doesn't have. Um, we do a lot of business travel, and it's mostly last minute for us. That's where we started with tonight and with the couple days ahead. And Airbnb is wonderful for uh, and more focused on the longer term stays that are planned further out. So together, we can bring something really, really great and complimentary. So how much autonomy do you still have? despite being bought by Airbnb? Uh, Hotel Tonight is a separate uh, entity, completely. separate brand, completely uh, autonomous. And that said, we are working together to bring the Hotel Tonight partners and the Hotel Tonight hotels partners uh, to Airbnb. And we're also looking at ways to bring Airbnb customers to Hotel Tonight when that's the best thing for them. I see. Okay, so let's talk about some of the trends we're seeing in the hotel space right now. Um, you know, you and I were just talking a second ago during the break about the rise of um, sort of themes themed hotels. Equinox, I did a story on this several years ago, Equinox coming out with their own hotel chain, the gym coming out with their own hotel chain. I know that West Elm, um, the furniture store, is also looking at hotels as well. Walk us through some of these new sort of trends we're seeing in hotels. It's a really fascinating trend where you have a lifestyle brand that stands for something unique and then mashed up with a hotel and this experience of kind of being out of your regular routine. And for the Equinox brand, it's about wellness and it's about fitness. Um, and I, as I toured it, it was a really amazing product and an amazing, uh, it's going to be an amazing hotel. Mm -hmm. um, there's also uh, brands like Away, which is a, a luggage company, a luggage startup that's been very successful that's planning a hotel. And then there's even, uh, there was a pop-up hotel that Taco Bell did. Um, and the Taco, yeah, the Taco Bell uh, fans went crazy for this place and it was only open for a weekend or a week or something oh, but it was goodness. a big hit especially on social media okay, as you can I'm, imagine I'm sure. yeah. um, but some of the trends we're seeing in travel right now especially with millennials we're seeing more sort of last minute vacations uh, this summer is going to be record high travel uh, there's what's known as pleasure which is when you mix business and pleasure travel as well we'll pursue that the uh, 
millennials and the Gen Z and the younger generations, they look to optimize their life around experiences. And a big part of experiences for them is travel. So for them, it's about how many uh, trips can I get in? How many experiences can I get in? And so they look to places like Hotel Tonight and Airbnb for on-demand travel, where they can fit in regional trips is a really big trend. So going like just a day outside of the city or even a staycation within the city and having a very different experience staying at a hotel with a pool. Um, and then instead of having just two or three big trips a year, having five, six, ten trips a year is the big trend. So, so now that you, I mean, obviously Hotel Tonight, you accept last minute bookings. That's how you built your business. But you accept bookings in advance now. So how do you fend off competition or how do you distinguish yourself from competitors like Priceline, Expedia, Booking.com? We look to three things that were competitive, uh, that make us better than the competition. First is our simplicity. And you can book a room in just 10 seconds in three taps and a swipe on Hotel Tonight. Um, second is value. We have amazing deals. Uh, we have a, a new deal feature called Daily Drop, which is an ephemeral deal. It's a deal that you unlock and you get this really amazing discount. It's one of our best discounts. And then you get only 15 minutes to book it. How much and that's of a discount why are we talking? I've seen 30, 35% off of uh, that. It, the discount varies and sometimes even can go higher than that. Um, and then the last is our playfulness and the gamification. We have um, a, a rewards program that the more you book, the better the deals get. We have achievements so that collect the number of cities and states and countries you've been to. And we love to celebrate travel and we love to make it fun. It ultimately is fun and booking travel should be just as fun. So one trend that we're seeing everywhere is personalization. So how do you cater to that? I mean, do you um, have a profile of people knowing what sort of rooms they like, knowing where they tend to do that sort of thing? Yes, absolutely. The more you use Hotel Tonight, the better it gets for you. And the results that we show you become more personalized and curated to your own tastes. And it happens invisibly, and it just becomes that Hotel Tonight is, you trust it more and more because it's showing you better and better things for you. All right, Sam Shank, thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, that's it for us. Thank you so much for watching. I'm Zane Asher, International Desk with Robin Kerner. Starts after the break. You are, of course, watching CNN. Have a great day. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.